0: Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. My name is Dean Jones, and this is Season Six, Episode Two. Today, I'm speaking with Judy Alter, who is the author of the Blue Plate Cafe Mysteries, as well as the recent Gourmet Anna Hot Plate. She is a prolific author who has written countless historical works about famous American women, many young adult novels, as well as numerous mystery series. Without further ado, I will take you to my conversation with author Judy Alter. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. My name is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. Today, I am talking to author Judy Alter, who is the author of many books. She's very prolific. Notably, her Blue Blue Plate Cafe Mysteries, as well as the Gourmet on a Hot Plate book coming out recently. Um, Judy, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: How is uh, Texas today? Wet and cold, icy. I've heard that. I've lived in uh, Texas. What part of Texas do you live in?
1: Uh, North Central in Fort Worth.
0: I lived in Fort Worth back in the 80s. I was stationed there when they had a military base there. It's a nice city. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked uh, spending time in Fort Worth, uh, going around the town. Um, And I also loved going to Dallas and spending time in Denton as well. So Prior to becoming an author, you worked for uh, Texas Christian University Press as an editor and then as director. What did you like about working for an academic press?
1: Well, an academic press has less pressure than a commercial press. Um, You get a different kind of book. You operate at a different schedule. um, And I really liked it. I was very fortunate because my career at TCU, helped my career as a writer. I used to give a little talk about wearing two hats in the publishing world, but one really fed the other. I met a lot of people through the press that helped me as an author, and I learned a lot about writing.
0: When you retired in 2009, before you retired, you'd already written an impressive amount of books, but you continued writing after that. Your first book was in the seventies after Paul was shot and it was a young adult novel. He then went on to write a steady stream of young adult novels. Can we talk about your young adult work and what attracted you to writing for the young adult um, community? Um, I
1: didn't know I was writing a young adult novel.
0: Okay.
1: I, I, uh, I just told a story that I wanted to tell. It was based on a story that an older woman had told me. And when the Mark William Moore Company Published it. They marketed it as a young adult novel, um, and I'm not sure what how they decide because some novels with with people that age um, are not young adults. so you just can't tell.
0: Oh, that's surprising. And so, but after that, did they kind of ask you to write more, or did you decide to write more for that uh, demographic?
1: Um, after that, I was pigeonholed as a young adult author. Whatever I wrote, people said, "Hmm, sounds young adult to me. Um, When I tried consciously to write for young adults, it didn't come out well. When I had the story first that I wanted to tell and it featured a young person, then it worked much better. And I went on to write another young adult that I really liked called Luke and the Van Zant County War, which was based on history. But after that, I really tried to become quote, a grown up author.
0: You've written a lot of historical fiction, um, also notable for featuring female protagonists or female historical figures. Um, One such is Sundance, Butch, and Me, which was written in 2002. Can we talk
1: about your love of historical fiction and writing it? I was fascinated in graduate school by the women of the American West, by the 19th century women, what they put up with, their attitude, their gutsiness. that attitude of come spring, everything will be better. I found myself writing about strong women and weak men. And finally, some editor said to me, we don't want any more failed husbands. But I wrote about Elizabeth Bacon Custer, and we all know what happened to George. I wrote about um, Jesse Benton Fremont, who was married to John Charles Fremont, who failed at everything he tried from being Republican governor to minor, to running for president. Um, and in a way, Butch casting and the Sundance Kid at a place was Sundance's lover and Sundance didn't come out too well. So I needed to move on. I did write one novel set in Chicago historical that I still think is one of the best things I've ever done. And what book was that? The Gilded Cage it's about sissy palmer married to powder palmer who had the um no hello my mind went blank the hotel downtown in chicago the classic famous palmer house yeah
0: who are some of your favorite historical figures that um you've enjoyed um doing research on
1: i think i enjoyed the Palmer one mostly. I am not a native Texan. I grew up in Chicago. Oh. And it was a great joy for me to go back and research Chicago and its history in the late 19th century. And even because of the Columbian Exposition, some of the neighborhood where I grew up.
0: What brought you to Texas? Uh, when did you move to Texas?
1: My then husband was a uh, a surgical, he got a surgical residency in Fort Worth. And so I thought, well, what better time? I'll go to school and get a PhD. And so I went to Texas Christian University while he became a surgeon.
0: Texas can be um, quite a lot to um, adapt to. Did you you, uh, find it a unique environment when you moved there or did you just kind of fit right in? I'm sorry, would you repeat that? Texan, Texas can be quite a unique environment to move into when you're, if you're not from there. Did you, did you uh, find it easy to adapt there or did you find did you find it to be a different culture? It was
1: a different culture. I'd never had Mexican food. Um, there was in the 60s or 70s, a big movement about born in Texas. And I could never say that. And people would say to me, and we'll still, I mean, I've been here over 55 years and they still say to me, well, you're not a native Texan. So yeah, there is some of that, but most of my career has been built around Texas literature and Texas history. And I feel very much a Texan, and, and now I'm very much at home. I am writing a series set in Chicago, which is nostalgia, but I would never go back to Chicago. I had to stay in Texas.
0: Now, you've written a great deal of mysteries. Uh, your, your mystery output is is very prolific. You, not only have you written a lot, but you've written many series simultaneously. In addition to the prolif- prolific Kelly O'Connell Mysteries and Oak Grove Mysteries, you have a series that involves food, the Blue, pa- the Blue Plate Cafe Mysteries. Can we talk about this series and what inspired you to write it?
1: Um, when my children were young, we went a lot to a friend's ranch in East Texas in a town called Ben Wheeler. And the next town over was Edom, E-D-O-M, not Eden. And it had a restaurant called The Shed and we ate at The Shed a lot. That was a big deal with the kids, fried catfish on Saturday night. Mm. Um, The friends that owned the ranch were very special to me. And somehow I got it in my head that writing a mystery set in that atmosphere would be a tribute to them. And it was the first one where I really worked food into the novel.
0: Yeah, um, you have some wonderful recipes at the end of each novel. Um, what gave you the idea to do that? And it's pretty unique. That, what did the publishers? Well, think
1: it about? was maybe more unique then. It's done a lot now. Um, probably reading Diane Mott Davidson's uh, Goldie Schultz mysteries, but Davidson scattered recipes through the book. I find them much easier for people to use if they're at the back of the book. Yeah. So I, I just do that routinely. Like the friends that we visited in East Texas, she was a good old country girl from Missouri and she and I cooked together and had a wonderful time doing it. So some of those recipes are hers and, it, and they're all kind of down-home cooking.
0: You have received many awards through the years. Among them, you've been awarded the Western Writers of America, and then you've been inducted into the library, sorry, I'll edit this out, the Literary Hall of Fame. Can we talk about these honors and what they meant to you?
1: Well, they meant recognition by my peers. Um, And I was very, very flattered. The biggest one to me is the Lifetime Achievement Award from Western Writers of America. I was president of that association and very active in it for many years. When I got that award, a friend said to me, well, is that the end of it? Lifetime achievement, no more? And I said, that was 16 years ago. And I, I liked much better the friend who said, I absolutely know you are too young for a lifetime achievement award.
0: This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. Now, you've written one of the first online um, food blogs, Judy's Stew. Can we talk about that and its longevity over the years?
1: It's not really a food blog. Oh. It's um, a stew of read, writing, cooking, and grandmothering. And my daughter-in-law gave me the, the name. I She said, you know, you ought to write a blog. And that was back in 2006 when blogs were not as common as they are. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't have anything to write about. And she said, of course you do. And named those three things and then said, you could call it Judy's Stew. So it had some cooking in it, but... Now I save the cooking for the cooking blog.
0: You wrote Cooking My Way Through Life with Kids and Books in 2009. Can you talk about that book a little bit? What inspired you to write it?
1: Um, I raised my four adopted children pretty much as a single parent. My husband and I divorced when the oldest one was 12 and the youngest one was six. And I was in a writing group was writing a lot of memoir. And I kept thinking, I want to write a memoir but I think a memoir has to have a peg to hang it on. And so I decided that food as I had known it through my life would be the peg. And so I divided my life into four periods, childhood, marriage, the casserole years when the kids and I were alone and didn't have much money. And then the fourth was being single and doing a lot of entertaining, which I did big dinner parties and big parties, enjoyed it thoroughly. Now I'm in the fifth period of my life, which is living alone in a tiny space and uh, still cooking, still enjoying it. You have one work,
0: Extraordinary Texas Chefs, that was written in 2008. Can you talk about this book and what
1: inspired you to write it? Uh, my idea as director at TCU Press was to come up with a series of tiny Texas books. I think that's what they called them. We called them. Um, They would be short, easy to write, priced under $10. People could pick them up for stocking stuffers, casual gifts, whatever. And so this gave me a chance to write about something that interested me, which was Texas cooking or cooks. And I, at the time, had a friend that I went to dinner with once a week and so this spurred us on to go to new restaurants that we'd not been to um I went to a fancy Dallas hotel I can't remember the name of it but they served a seven course meal wow yes I thought I don't know that I can eat seven courses (laughs) but um we went various places some of it I did by telephone like find a find a what is it find a is so, No, anyway the restaurant in dallas i mean in austin found to san miguel i did that one by phone but pretty much i could eat out and and count it as a research expense
0: i like that yeah i liked it too are there any memorable chefs that you liked covering that i like did the, are there any memorable chefs that you that you covered in the book that you that you found exceptional
1: no not really that I i don't think they're anywhere. I keep going back. There are some in Fort Worth who kind of dominate, but they change a lot over the years. And that book was, what, 15 years ago? Right. So, yeah, it's changed. I did work in a hamburger restaurant or steak restaurant for a while.
0: Wow. I wonder if I've eaten there. I might have. I mean, you're going to talk about Texas is chili country that you um, published in 2015, which was a Will Rogers Medallion Award. I'm a huge chili fan, and I love eating t- uh, chili in Texas. Can we talk about this book for a bit?
1: I, it started out to be a book about Texas food and include beer and beans. And when um, the editor at Texas Tech bought it, she said, no, I want you just to write about chili. And it turned out by the time you get into the chili wars and the history of it, um, there was plenty of material for one book. And then there are a lot of recipes in that book. My own chili is what one review, it's in my Cooking My Way Through Life book. And one reviewer called it plain and simple and hearty. And it is, it's simply beef, beer, and beans. And that
0: reminds me, because th- there's uh,
1: many authors
0: that I follow that write about Texas cuisine. Uh, Lisa Fain would be an example. She does the Home sec- te- Texan cookbook. And also I grew up, my mother is from Texas as, as our, my mother's side of the family. So I grew up eating a lot of Texas food. If you could um, exemplify to our listeners what you think Texas food cuisine is, is uh, what would you say it would be?
1: I don't think it's any longer chili or beef or beans. I think Texas cooking is Southwestern cooking and the best of it is quite upscale and inventive and it, it incorporates a lot of Hispanic elements. Yeah. Um, I think it's different than Chicago cooking. Although I had great Mexican food in Chicago, not long ago.
0: I know that we always tended to have um, like beans uh, with a lot of meals, even if it wasn't really something that went with beans, we tended to have beans quite a bit and uh, we had cornbread a lot. Um, yes. Yeah. Um,
1: is there a certain type of chili that's your favorite? Um, I just, what I make beef, beer, and bean. My son-in-law is a very good cook and I live in the cottage behind their house yeah. and he makes chili all the time, but every time he makes it, it's different. He keeps experimenting with different recipes and I kind of would like to stick to my basic one
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. with, and I serve it with a grated cheddar, sour cream, red onions, avocado,
0: That sounds just the way I like it. That sounds wonderful. You started a blog, Gourmet on a Hot Play in 2018 with an accompanying book of the same title. Um, Can we talk about them and what prompted you to write these?
1: Well, in 2000, I guess it was 16, I was having some health problems and the children decided that I could not live alone in my house. The solution was that we gutted the three car garage, made it into a cottage for me and my youngest daughter and her husband and son moved into the house. And it's been a great arrangement. But because of Texas Christian University and Fort Worth zoning laws, they were trying to keep the garage apartments from becoming student housing in these nicer neighborhoods. And so the zoning said you could not have two kitchens on one property well obviously the main house has a big kitchen so i can't have i can have anything that plugs in so i have a huge refrigerator but i cook on a hot plate and a toaster oven i don't even have a microwave and it turns out that i don't have space for a stove anyway so i turn out some pretty complicated meals on those two things
0: now i must imagine that this was a very popular cookbook and blog for that very reason because a lot of people for various reasons across America I think they highlighted this with the hidden kitchen series uh, have to use a situation like yours where they can only plug in things they don't have like a conventional oven etc did you get a lot of feedback on
1: this Um, I'm not sure I have struck enough of that audience I did try to publicize the book to tiny house residents but um, yeah I think it's it's a coming thing. I think more and more we're getting away from great big spaces and you can cook well with limited facilities. I got the title for that book from a friend who doesn't even remember. She said it to me, but I do try to cook unusual upscale dishes. And yet I do it on a hot plate. It is an induction hot plate.
0: What are some of the favorite things that you cook on your hot plate?
1: Uh, Last night I made a sheet pan dinner with chicken thighs and uh, all kinds of vegetables, carrots and potatoes and broccoli and green beans. Oh, nice. I, I did uh, coca bean with white wine and chicken instead of red wine and beef the other day. Oh. I do the stroganoff. Um, I also feed some picky eaters. So I have to think about who will eat what and who won't eat what.
0: I have the same issue.
1: <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't
0: it? It's it's makes it very challenging, but they keep me on my toes. Who are some of your favorite food writers that you like to read?
1: I like Ruth Rachel a lot.
0: Mm.
1: And I even liked her novel, Delicious.
0: That was an exceptional novel. I really loved that so much.
1: Yeah, I did too. And, and her recipes are good. I love that. I can't think of the name of it now, but the journal she kept about her year of no cooking. Right. After she left, was forced out of gourmet. Yeah. Um, I have Stanley Tucci's taste on my to-be-read list, but mostly I tend to read fiction that has a food element. So I'm a big fan of Davidson's series, which is quit. And uh, I like the Cleo Coyle Coffee House Mysteries. Um, I've got a new book on my computer, on my Kindle called The The Secret Recipes of Sophia Valro. It's about a young chef who is disgraced and goes back to France and discovers her grandmother's recipes. I haven't read it yet.
0: That sounds wonderful. Um, Are there any favorite mystery writers that you have? I know that you, you write quite a bit, so you must be a big fan of mysteries.
1: I like cozy mysteries, although some of them, I can't say this out loud, some of them are getting too cozy for me. All the punny titles, I'm, I'm tired of that. And I don't want the craft ones, although cooking comes close to that. But I love, for instance, I like Deborah Crombie. There used to be a series called about the chef at the White House. And I really liked that one. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it right now. Julie Heising wrote it, but it was a work for hire. And when the publisher decided to quit it, The publisher owned the characters and Julie didn't, so she couldn't go on. I'm getting a kick recently out of what I call um, outrageous cozies, like Julie Mulhern's country club series set in Kansas City. And I'm maybe trying for a little of that with my own Irene, chef Irene, what I'm calling them, Irene and Chicago Culinary Mysteries, because Irene is a pretty outrageous diva.
0: Is there a trick to writing mysteries because I've I've thought that it must be quite difficult to write a mystery story and kind of kind of make that something that you know people can then get into that is it in and of itself is a mystery, is there a trick to it
1: or something that you employ when you write. It uh, it depends on how you write it you know there are two schools i'm a pantser I write by the seat of my pants. Ask me what's gonna happen in the next scene. I can probably tell you. Ask me what the solution to the mystery is. I don't have a clue yet, and I'm halfway through one. Um, I've got some ideas, but I don't know. Some other people outline it thoroughly. Their outline is such that they've half written the book when they finish the outline. I can't do that because it changes as I go. And um, Elmer Kelton used to say, listen to your characters and they'll tell you what's gonna happen. And I do that. So yes, right. And mystery writers, I think of either school talk about the muddle in the middle. You get to that, which is exactly where I am now. I'm at 32,000 words and you get there and you think, oh Lord, how am I gonna get to the end of this? But you do, you just keep writing and it keeps happening. And when it's all done, of course, the first draft is very rough and you have to go back. But when it's all done, Somehow it hangs together.
0: Now, um, my wife and I watch a lot of mystery series on TV. Some of them have been around so long, they've been on for decades. Are there any that you're a fan of? Eddie? what? Are there any um, mystery TV shows that you're a fan
1: of? I just don't watch TV and I haven't been to a movie in years. The last movie I saw was *Julie and Julia. Oh, that's a wonderful film. Yes, but it was a long time ago. I didn't like the book. Yeah, a little bit different, the,
0: the both of them, the kind of independent structures and on their own.
1: So what is next for you? Um, writing, I'm gonna finish this Irene mystery, it's called Irene Keeps a Secret. Um, I would like to do a book, if I could interest a publisher, on Helen Corbett, who was the doyen of food at Neiman Marcus stores, and a remarkably interesting lady. A feisty redhead who was not afraid to tell Stanley Marcus to get out of her kitchen until he had an invitation.
0: That sounds like a great story. I can't imagine that. I would imagine that any publisher would gobble that one up. Well,
1: there's a publisher who did a compilation cookbook of her recipes in 2000 and has like a 20 page biography, but nobody has written about her life. And I asked that publisher and he said, no, I think that's enough but I don't, and I I keep working on it. I've got a lot of notes. Corbett cooked at a time that was very transitional and important in American food. We were just getting convenience food. Julia Child was calling people into the kitchen while Betty Friedan was trying to get them out of the kitchen. It's a very interesting food period. So I'd like to do that. I have a file folder, and now I have them on my computer of letters From Dorothy Johnson. Are you familiar with her? Yes. Um, That she wrote to me. Wow. I knew her. And I thought, you know, that's a treasure. So I would like to either edit them or um, write an article for them on them. So anyway, that's one of my projects that's off there. And I'm going to keep blogging. Um, I'm just going to, you retire from something like the university. You don't, in my mind, retire as a writer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I can't imagine. Well, Judy, I've been really very happy to get to talk to you, and I really enjoyed having you on the program. Thank you for being here with us
1: today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: That was my conversation with author Judy Alter, author of The Blue Plate Cafe Mysteries and the recent Gourmet in a Hot Plate. I hope you can join us next week for some really great programming. On Monday, we are speaking with author Anne Ma, whose wonderful books, The Kitchen Chinese... The Lost Vintage, and Instantly French have been my favorites. On Wednesday, we have an encore presentation with J.P. McMahon of The Irish Cookbook, and on Thursday, we'll have author Doreena Allen of Ireland's Ballymallow House Cooking School, who is an author of numerous cookbooks as well, and many TV appearances. On Friday, we'll have Caroline Hennessy of The Official Guinness Cookbook on. I look forward to having you hear my conversations with these esteemed guests. Until then, have a wonderful weekend and keep cooking.